This episode is sponsored by goodboycreative.co, a boutique marketing agency based out of Canada that gives your brand that extra dimension of intelligence and creativity. From content strategy and SEO plus SEM to social content of all kinds to brand identity, even web design and UX UI, Good Boy Creative has you covered. Check them out now at goodboycreative.co backslash Big self. That's goodboycreative.co backslash big self. The world around us is changing faster than ever. We hear people say, everything's a blur. And when we're living in our little self, a self in survival mode, a self that's living out what others believe we should do or who we should be, we compromise our joy. We put limits on ourselves and how we show up day in and day out. We believe we all have a big self and pursuing it is holy work. We also believe that most of us let fear persuade us not to pay attention to it. So we stay in this vicious cycle between fear and entrapment that keeps us playing small. But when we combine an insatiable curiosity to know our true self with the courage to share our innate gifts with the world, we get closer and closer to our big self. We met Brian Bogert through a mutual friend, and it's been a pleasure learning his story and his message of freedom through and from suffering. His story is his to tell, and I think you'll love his authenticity and intensity as he shares his message of purpose and possibility. Brian Bogert, welcome to The Big Self Show. Man, I'm happy to be here with you, brother. Well, it is wonderful to have you here too, brother. And as we have been doing, each of our guests here in season five, we begin with... What does being in your big self mean to you? And that's really it. If you want to compare it with a binary of what it means to be in your little self, feel free. Um, Yeah, I'm just kind of interested in what just comes to mind when you think of the term big self. You know, I have never heard the term or used the term. And so having that question, it really is a raw reaction, my friend. You know, here's the reality, big self. I believe that big self is actually our most authentic self, Mm. okay? I think our big self is the self that's put in the work to heal the pains of our past and grow beyond the layers that have kept us stuck that were designed to protect that pain. They are what allow us to get back to the core of who we were before the world told us who to be. Uh, And I believe that our big self is when we're standing in our power and our potential. So beautiful. And uh, that is right on the nose for how I think about it too recently, just this idea of essence and being in one's authentic self. Um, And, you know, I like the way that you kind of approached it there with the idea of, 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 of pain of things that take us off course. And, and, you know, 
kind of looking at your background and and the story that you share, I think that that's totally appropriate for this conversation. In fact, I know that you do a lot of sharing of your story, but could you give us a little bit of context? Mm-hmm. Um, share with us that 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 story that you sh- that you talk about with the um, losing. Well, I won't. I won't. <laughs> what happened to you at the age of yeah. seven? Yeah. So I'm going to give you the expedited version. And this is the story that I'm most well known for. But what I have to say before I even say it is that I was convinced for 20 to 25 years that this was my transformation story. It wasn't. It was the story that created a whole bunch of trash from my past that I didn't even realize was there. I pushed down every time I pushed through and carried with me for years. Okay. Now it's a unique story. And it catches the attention of a lot of people because I don't know too many people whose story is exactly like mine. But it's also another clarifying point that I think is important before you even hear my story. It doesn't matter the extremities of our stories. What matters is that you learn to pause long enough to extract the lessons you can from your life so that you can become aware of them and intentional in applying those lessons moving forward. All that said... August 10th, 1992, 115 degree day. My mom, my brother and I were at our local Walmart to get a one inch paintbrush to complete a home improvement project that we were working on. And anyone who's known me for for more than a minute or two isn't surprised when they hear that I was the first one to the car that day because I walk fast, I talk fast, I've got excitement and vigor for most things I do. So I wanted to get home and put that paintbrush to use. But this was back in the days before there was key fobs. So I had to wait for my mom to literally reach her hand in her purse, grab her keys, pull them out, stick them in the door, and turn them before we could go on with our way. And while all that was taking place, a truck pulled up in front of the store and the driver and middle passenger got out. Passenger all the way to the right felt the truck moving backwards. So he did what any one of us would do and scooted over to put his foot on the brake, but he instead hit the gas. Combination of shock and force threw him up on the steering wheel, up on the dashboard, and before you know it, he's catapulting 40 miles an hour across the parking lot right at me with no time to react. He goes out over the tree in the median, hits the car, And we believe I was holding onto the handle with my left hand. So it threw me to the ground and the truck continued on to run over my body, tear my spleen, leave a tire track scar on my stomach and continue on to completely sever my left arm from my body. The next thing my mom hears is from my brother who's 14 months older, who said, mom, Brian's arm is over there. And as she gazes up the parking lot from where I was to where my arm was laying, she saw a trail of muscle cooking like hamburger on the parking lot. Okay. Now I always have to say and honor the woman who saved my life. Cause there was a nurse who walked out of the store right when this took place. She saw the literal life and limb scenario and she rushed immediately into action. I've said for years that I was forever indebted to her, but that mm-hmm. became even more powerful when I met her for the very first time last August on the 30th anniversary of the accident. And I found out that she had a friend with her that day. She had a friend with her who had the same training as a nurse that she had. Her friend decided to turn and go on with her day. Now, I want to be really clear. She had every right to do that, and I have no malintent or energy or emotion. That was well within her right to do it, but why I reinforce it is the power of a singular choice and the ripple effect it can have in hundreds of millions of lives in a way that we can't even anticipate, right? Her choice to go into action, she came over and stopped the bleeding on the main wound and saved my life, and she instructed an innocent bystanders to run inside, grab a cooler, fill it with ice, and get my attached limb on ice within minutes to also be giving me a fighting chance to save my limb. So if it wasn't for this woman, I either wouldn't be here with you today or I'd be here with you today with a cleaned up stump. That's just the reality. And so that's the story I'm most well known for. I know we'll unpack portions of it and where it's gone from there, but um, yeah, it was, it was quite, quite the traumatic experience for all of us involved. 
Wow. Um, that is, that is, that, that helps. <laughs> I've kind of had a loss for words. I think I'm a little bit in shock at some of what all went into that. And yeah, you probably don't have a lot of other humans walking the planet who have had quite that experience. You know, the reality of it is, is I was in a fog for a lot of those years after the accident, but my parents were not right. They were intimately aware of the unceasing medical treatments, years of physical therapy, and they had the foresight and understanding to realize that seeing their son grow up without the use of his left arm would be a great source of potential suffering for them and for me. And so they literally did what it required, what it took. They embraced the pains required to help me heal, right? And that's what embedded the philosophy. I think it's important for us to understand the concept of pain before we can understand the, this, this whole idea. Because what does the world tell us? They say, avoid, reduce, or eliminate pain at all costs, right? right? I mean, mm -hmm. everything is about how do we get at ease and how can we medicate or how can we numb or how can we, like all of it, okay? And that's just not the narrative that serves us anymore. It makes sense, right? But the reality yeah. is it's also an evolutionary response to survival. A hundred years ago, you cut your leg, you could die. That's not the reality for many of us in the world anymore. And so we need to update our operating system and start to understand that not all pain is bad, right? But where does it get confusing? Pain is defined as short-term, intermittent, and a direct cause from something. And then it alleviates once that direct cause is removed. So what do we do as humans? We screw it up like we do everything else by throwing adjectives in front of it like acute and chronic. We talk acute pain, which inherently maintains the definition because it's short-term it, and it persists and heals after. But chronic, which is something that we refer to often, chronic pain immediately changes the definition of pain. See, it persists after the direct cause is removed and it's no longer short-term. It doesn't fit the definition of pain, yet we still try to classify it as pain. What that really is is suffering. Right. Right? Now, we don't want to admit that suffering exists, particularly when it's a direct result of our choices. But the unavoidable precursor to change is acceptance. Until we accept the current state of things, we cannot alter them. So what does this look like in concept? Well, we can embrace the pain of hitting the gym for 30 minutes every single day to avoid the suffering of aches and pains from a sedentary lifestyle and not being able to play with our kids or our grandkids later in life, right? We can embrace right. the pain of a difficult conversation with a loved one or spouse to avoid the suffering of being stuck in a loveless marriage or frankly, wanting to escape and go on, right? We can embrace the pain of the fit our kids are sure to throw by having them shut off the TV and put down their mobile devices at dinner time to avoid the suffering of years of lost meaningful connection and conversation we'll never get back. As business owners, we can embrace the pain of firing our top salesperson who's contributing the most to top line growth to avoid the suffering of stagnation and losing all our other top talent because they were the greatest cancer in our culture. See, the reality of it is, is this concept becomes extremely important because it applies to every single thing in life. Um, but it's also really important to understand the suffering that you want to acknowledge you choose to avoid later in life and then be able to identify the pains that you tend to avoid and learn to embrace them so that you can establish this as a habit in every area of your life. Well, I find it fascinating the way that you are saying that there this is a new time and that, yeah, because while there are a lot of stories that can be quite inspiring about how all different manners of suffering have led to, oh, a more enriched, meaningful life. In the end, we don't want to suffer <laughs> and it is deeply instinctual. So that is an interesting uh, point that you make about, yeah, up to a hundred years ago, if something happens, there is this, even up to just a hundred, say years ago, 
So uh, maybe we are uh, living in these different times. I'd like to think so. Now, I know too, Brian, that you talk about uh, another time in your life, and I don't know exactly the context, but you experienced a kind of a, a breakdown where you had you had built uh, a successful company or companies, and yet you still suffered a kind of, um, I don't know the extent to which it was a breakdown. Yeah. I guess a couple of, this is a, a kind of a two-parter, but did the suffering that the, and the sequences that that led the many different surgeries you had did that lead to say your first mountain journey where you were intensely building growing uh your companies and and apparently experiencing a lot of success but then to what extent did the crisis that you then went through later in life contribute to some of the learning that you are that you now talk about and that you're so enthusiastic about sharing yeah. with the world as well so in, in a way you've gone through yeah. kind of a couple of these transformative experiences yeah and i would tell you there's even more than two i i mean i could probably tell you six to eight really meaningful transformational periods and moment moments in my life okay um you know, and so I won't break them all down for the purposes of this. I'll answer the question. Mm. Um, but I think it's really interesting, too, that you referenced kind of the proverbial first mountain, because the reality of it is, is I would argue that in some ways that was true. However, I was climbing a mountain without understanding what the peak looked like, what my final destination was, all of the weight that I was carrying, having a flawed relationship with myself, who I was based mm. on the narratives of the world. And so largely, I was climbing a mountain that the world told me I needed to be climbing instead of the mountain I chose to walk up. Right. And then you combine that with I also had convinced myself at that point in my life, that if it didn't hurt, if it wasn't painful, then it wasn't going to be worthwhile. So what did that mean on this proverbial climb on my mountain? I, I was very successful, but I had convinced myself that I needed to crawl on my hands and knees up that mountain and make sure that my hands and my knees were bloody from the journey. Otherwise, I wouldn't have anything to show for it, right? It wouldn't be worthwhile. I walked mm -hmm. by and crawled by so many escalators, elevators, sets of stairs, or portals that would have transported me to a different mountain that probably was better for me. And the reality of it is, is I was chasing what the world always told me, when really I was in seek of who I was. Okay. And having who's okay. around me that I wanted to be with. And so all of these narratives that had kind of led me to hear the world told me what you should do this. You shouldn't do that. You should be this. You shouldn't be that. You should want this. You shouldn't want that. You should make this amount of money, have this kind of car, have this kind yeah. of house, have this kind of family and should is a shame based word. Cause it automatically implies whoever you are, whatever you're doing, you're not good enough. So what happens? Parents, teachers, employers, coaches, we start funneling ourselves down this path based on all the shoulds that we've been told to the point that we don't even know who we are anymore. We just know the box we can live in where we're going to feel safest based on who they've told us to be. Right. And then from there, when I realized how disconnected I was at 20, when I rebroke my arm, almost lost it again, went into a deep depression, I started to realize how isolated and disconnected I was because of the narrative I'd created, which was, I'm good, I'm strong, I'm capable, I can do anything myself. Now, all of a sudden, I find myself in one of the most vulnerable periods of my life at 20, not having the courage to ask for it. So I started seeking human connection through vulnerability and authenticity, which I believe are the glue that binds it. 
But what I was really chasing still was what? So at 27 years old, we had a $10 million risk management employee benefits consulting business that was still growing rapidly. It 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 had, I checked every box I'd ever set my eyes on, which all ended around the age of 30. I had the house, the car, the money, the wife, kids on the way, a growing business and a prestigious title that was known in the community. But then I woke up with running in circles with multiple people that were making multiple six figures, seven figures and eight figures and realizing that I had all the what's, but it cost me who I was. I didn't even know who I was. I was empty. I was disconnected. I was still miserable. Now I know that my unconscious mind at the time was believing that if I'd built this life of significance, then maybe people would just want to be around me. Maybe, maybe they want to learn from me, right? That could be a path to connection, but it really wasn't. And so at 27, that's when I had to really start paying attention to, okay, if I have all of these things that I thought I wanted, who am I really? And how do I start to further align my life in congruence with who I am? Because despite whatever amount of monetary success I'd had at that time, mm -hmm. I was empty, alone and disconnected. And I'd already been married for a few years, been living with my wife, like, and I was still disconnected and alone. I was so guarded behind this armor that I thought was protecting me, but it was further disconnecting me. Ooh, and yeah. so I turned inward at that time. It was another five years though, before I really started to understand that when I shut off physical pain because it exceeded my ability to cope, I shut off emotional pain, mental pain, and spiritual pain for about 25 years, and I didn't even know it, okay? okay. So now all of a sudden, I'm 32, about, on the couch with my daughter, and she was about two at the time. We're playing. She wraps her arm around my neck, kisses me on the cheek, says, Daddy, I love you, and I broke down in tears. And I realized that I'd never felt emotion to that depth before. And every other thing I'd felt was pale in comparison. So I started to actually try to feel, but here's the reality. Human connection without emotion isn't really human connection. Right. The equation was wrong. And so I really started to then tap into the intellectual and emotional narratives that were formed in these moments from our past that we carry forward and cause us to react in this moment, creating damage in our businesses, our relationships, our health and our lives when 99% of the time, what we're reacting to has nothing to do with what's right in front of us and everything to do with the trash from our past. And so when I started to be able to separate this and put myself into the present, my life changed materially. The flow and the way that we went just changed materially. But I dealt with deep levels of shame, deep levels of anger. I had to unpack both because I almost lost everything I ever cared about because of me and my blindness while trying to climb that proverbial mountain. Well, I... Really appreciate your authenticity and vulnerability in sharing that story. And, you know, a lot of people do. I mean, that's a very young age, um, but a, a lot of people do get to this material top and checking the boxes and just never do the reconciling that you're talking about uh, and and go on in in this blindness continuing to have their justifications and be armored behind their, I guess, rigid beliefs or just refusal to recognize and accept the, the fact that they are not fully human. Uh, so this message... I, do, you yeah, do you mind if I pause you real quick when you say that? Because I want to give a little context and perspective shift on that. Okay. Um, I wasn't refusing to see it. I was unconscious to it. And that's not defensive from my standpoint. I think that there are people who refuse to see it, but there are many who are unconscious to the yeah. patterning and conditioning that happens in those moments of emotional triggers, behavioral patterning, and environmental conditioning. 
right? These things are generationally patterned down. And the thing about trash from your past is 99% of the time, it's not even your fault. It just becomes your responsibility once you become aware of it or you start burying others in yours. And so the only reason I, I slowed to separate that is I think that there are some people who are refusing, but there are people who still feel so disconnected in their lives and have no understanding as to why. Absolutely. It is for sure unconscious. But um, I think also there does come a point where uh, I think as Tasha Yurik has recently said on on the show when we were talking about self-awareness, it's that self-awareness is a will and a skill. And you have to be willing to do the work. And so, yeah, so I'm just uh, commending you and and, uh, having the the will to recognize it and begin doing that difficult, often very unconscious work. Well, I guess, you know, okay, so to stay uh, actually on this theme for a moment of just suffering, do you do you personally when when suffering happens in your life, do you always believe that it's there for a purpose? Uh, I don't believe I suffer in any area in my life anymore. I have pains in my life. I have discomforts in my life. I have resistance and interference that is in my life. I think that's the other part of awareness is bringing ourselves to understand what is the resistance that's serving us mm-hmm. and what is what are the things that we're pushing through and ignoring, right? I think that, again, it's all about intention and how do we actually show up with this. But um I genuinely believe that, that that that's the process that we have to walk ourselves through. And there's a whole lot of things that have to happen for us to really see ourselves clearly and to be able to understand it. But I think that's what it comes down to. I think there's a there's a combination here of when I'm thinking of of suffering and authenticity and vulnerability. Well, the most the most famous example, probably that I could possibly think of whether someone is a, a Christian or not, I think it's hard to argue that the Apostle Paul uh, was pretty persuasive with that very famous passage where he talks about the thorn in his flesh. And a lot of people have made a lot of, well, what was that thorn? But the the fact is that he was vulnerable about this uh, yes. this experience. But another very famous Victor Frankl. Yep. And he writes that, and and please excuse the sexist language. He was writing this about From another 80. time. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, when a man finds that it is his destiny to suffer, he will have to accept his suffering as his task, his single and unique task. Yeah. He will have to acknowledge the fact that even in the suffering, he is unique and alone in the universe. No one can relieve him of his suffering or suffer in his place. His unique opportunity lies in the place in which he bears his burden. I I agree. When I say that I don't suffer anymore, it doesn't mean that I won't ever suffer again. And I was suffering as little as two years, two and a half years ago when I almost lost my marriage because I still didn't see my anger. Mm -hmm. I think suffering comes in four areas in our lives. It's the things that are left unsaid, the things that we lack permission to feel or say, the things we like the words to articulate or understand about our unique experiences or the things that are left undone. Why I believe it's so important for us to have vulnerability and authenticity to be able to communicate about these things is there is literally a cathartic process to releasing something that's never been said out into the world. Yeah. Right? My purpose in life is to allow my truth to give others permission to live theirs. So what happens every time I talk about my story, my unique approach, the vulnerability of the pains, the things that have hit hit me. 
it gives people permission to feel and say the things that they may not have felt otherwise. And it gives them the words to articulate and understand their unique situation through a lens that they may not have before, which then empowers them to act and do, which would allow them to then again, exactly to Viktor Frankl's quote, walk that path because that suffering is the burden they have to release. But if they do not, just like if we choose to continue to carry the trash from our past, it will only get heavier the longer we carry it. It will only get stinkier and it will only incrementally crush us the longer it's there. So suffering is, a, is to me something we can escape. And that's why I always like to say we all must choose our pain or our suffering will choose us because one of them is going to be guaranteed. Mm -hmm. I would rather influence my short-term intermittent pains that I know are leading me down my path than to unconsciously or consciously accept suffering because I believe it can't change. The reality of it is I've not seen almost any situation that cannot be reversible. People who are on the verge of divorce all of a sudden have the greatest relationship two years later. Generational patterns get broken finally in a chain and the next generation of grandkids finally gets to be free. Business partnerships can flourish when they're in alignment with each other, but they can cause suffering and financial loss and time loss and energy loss if we don't embrace the pains necessary to escape them. So why I don't suffer anymore is because I do this work daily and I'm always figuring out the pains I need to embrace. But again, that doesn't mean that I don't ever feel pain or that I don't have to feel discomfort. It's that I never want to experience suffering again. I've experienced it before and I don't want to be there anymore. Well, I love your enthusiasm. It's infectious. And it's good to hear that you do the work on a, on a daily basis. And that is, I think, so we do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching and you, it is forward moving, but sometimes when we have this, these wounds, these traumas, this trash from our past, that, uh, that healing needs to happen. You can, you can meditate, you can have all the practices you want, read all the books you want, but if you, you still need that yeah. healing, then, um, it's not going to change. You're right. I've said for years that if we don't feel, we don't heal. Right. When I shut off emotional pain for 25 years, I wasn't feeling anything. How am I going to heal yeah. my way through that? And yeah. it's actually scientifically proven. There's 40,000 brain-like cells in the heart. They're called sensory neurites. They're hmm. that carry cellular memory. And they've studied and shown that if you go through the intellectual process alone of processing the patterns of your past, yeah, that, that you will actually not heal. What is required is that you create that 18 inch journey connection from our heads to our hearts, actually penetrate that armor that we've cut off and intellectualized everything so that we can embody the associated emotions to then be able to understand them and heal them. If we don't feel them, we can't heal them. And it's been proven, yet we still, most people, approach it purely from an intellectual pr perspective. Oh, I know. Yeah, we we certainly do. We're all about integrating the body and the uh, emotions with the right. thoughts. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's a really interesting uh, data point about all of the cells within an organ. In fact, I had heard this uh, se seemingly bizarre anecdote about how transplant survivors of different organs, like actually have communities and groups where they're like, look, I'm having memories or flashes yep. of the person. Cellular memory. Yeah. Yep. I'd it's heard cellular that. Memory. That's the, the thing is when we're that. reacting in those moments of trigger, that's mm -hmm. all it is. It's cellular memory, right? 
And cellular memory is literally believing that it's protecting itself from something that happened to you when you were four and your grandpa looked at you funny when you loaded the dishwasher incorrectly. Like it doesn't have to be getting your arm ripped off. It's any of those moments that you felt defeated, unworthy, disconnected, not safe, not protected, not seen and understood, right? Like who you are and what you're doing is never going to be good enough. All of those narratives from the world cause Mm -hmm. us to protect ourselves. And the second we do that, we guarantee that we're disconnecting ourselves. Uh, I think, you know, one thing that we hear, I'm I'm wondering how you approach this kind of tricky uh, territory for people when they're, maybe they're experiencing burnout or whatever it is, but they're the workplace dynamics uh, that they would say it's toxic. They're, they're getting, they're stressed out and they're complaining that, you know, even if they work on themselves, it's not going to change the other people in the workplace. What do you, what would, what do you tell people who are struggling with that? I teach a concept called protector and connector and soft front strong spine. It's really important to understand because I believe that we all have the ability to influence the environments that we're in. It may not happen immediately, but we also have the ability to not allow ourselves to absorb the toxicity that's there as long as we're intentional. But we have to understand the human experience before we can really understand this concept. I think we all seek and desire four things. We all want to feel safe. We all want to feel protected. We all want to feel seen and understood. And we all want to feel connected. Okay. Now, when we walk into an environment that we've deemed as toxic, we feel like we're not getting opportunity. We're overlooked for promotions. There's this competition with teams, like these divides that happen and break apart cultures. I mean, 15 years in risk management employment as consulting was our other business. And I spent most of that time on the employee engagement and cultural components that had to do with the human capital that organizations were spending. These happen all the time. But what happens when we walk into an environment that we don't feel safe, we don't feel protected, we don't feel seen and understood, and we don't feel connected? We protect ourselves, okay? Now, Mm -hmm. that means our armor goes up. So you're familiar with those 35-gallon black trash bags? Sure. For outdoor cans? Okay, so I want you to visualize this. Everybody listening, take one out of the box, unroll it. Don't open it to put it in the can, but fold it flat and hold one corner in each hand and hold it up in front of your face, okay? That's your proverbial armor. Hold it there for a minute, okay? Now, I want to ask you, How can you properly portray who you are, what you want, your heart, your desire, your boundaries, what you're willing to stand for, what you're not willing to stand for, what your unique abilities are, what your power and your potential and where you are struggling? How can you expect anyone to see and understand that and connect with you delivered through an opaque force field? And that's, by (laughs) the way, assuming that they're not carrying their own armor that's further diluting the message. Right. Right. And so the reality of it is, is there are two ways to lower your armor to become the protector and connector. One is we can fabricate it and understand and manipulate ourselves in a moment to convince ourselves that we're safe and protected, okay, so that we can lower our armor. The other way to do that is that we actually unpack what's actually causing the need to protect in the first place and really unpack that trash, lay it out in the light objectively and non-judgmentally to be able to understand what's happening so that you get to a point where maybe you don't need to protect there anymore. But here's the reality. The second you put that up, and we've said this before, the second you protect yourself, you disconnect yourself. And when we can lower our armor in an environment that may be deemed as toxic, Mm -hmm. we can actually wrap a layer of protection around the environment that we're in and influence the energy to ensure that everyone feels safe, everyone feels protected, everyone feels seen and understood, and everyone feels connected. That's that soft front and that strong spine, because if I know who I am, what I'm worth, what I'm willing to do, what I'm not willing to do, and I'm really clear on all of that, Mm -hmm. I can have a strong spine because nothing will cause me to waver. 
Nothing. But that also means I don't have to carry that armor. And that means that I am an open source of energy because if someone is struggling, if someone actually does want to connect, do you think they want to come up and put their head down on a metal chess piece? No. Right. No one wants to be comforted with empathy and compassion and have to lay on a piece of armor, right? And so right. the reality of it is the soft front means I don't have to protect, but that allows us in those moments of reaction to ask two questions. Is what I'm reacting to right now due to what's right in front of me or the trash from my past? And secondarily, what am I protecting right now? Because the reality of it is, is if you are able to lower your own armor, you actually get greater degree of understanding of the communication that's happening around you. Yeah. And people get to receive you at a higher level. So even if the entire environment doesn't change by doing that immediately, you can start to influence a deeper connection and trust amongst your peer group. Sure enough. And, and that all that work begins with starting with yourself, regardless Always. of all Always. of the dynamics yeah, that are going on there. That's really uh, good stuff. And I like your framework. Uh, Brian Bogert, thank you so much for spending your time and energy with us. It's a lot. You're, you've got a lot of energy. We can, I think, feel it, uh, feel the intensity. Tell us about your podcast, uh, Flip the Lid, and, uh, and dealing with that trash from the past. What, what's, uh, tell us about your podcast. But the concept is that we're flipping the lid inside the stories of some of the most significant and successful people who are creating impact in this world. Episode one is my wife and I, because I figured before I ask anyone else to do it, we needed a lead. So we started it off, kicked it off, and we've been really blessed. I mean, we've had uh, Darren O'Lean, Brad Lee, David Meltzer, Kelly Chase, and, and the list goes on of names of people that are creating massive impact, are highly well-known. And the vulnerability and transparency with which we're navigating these conversations is a game changer because we're not just figuring out all the reasons why they were able to build their business and get successful and talk about the same stuff that's on every other show. We're actually understanding the trash that they carried, those things they had to unpack, those moments where self-doubt came in. What are the areas they're still protecting themselves that are limiting them despite whatever amount of success there is? People are celebrated in public for what they've practiced in private for years. I just am trying to help demonstrate what did they actually have to practice so that everyone else recognizes that we all go through the same things. Excited, exciting stuff. Good to have you on. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Brian. I appreciate you, my friend, and for building a platform to allow me to pour some good into the world. We are all about big ideas and how to integrate them to live a more sustainable life, to open up your learning, level up your self-awareness and consciousness, and move from surviving to thriving to even flourishing. And I think what Brian Bogart is saying is that without pain, there is no transformation. We have to know ourselves and we begin to take inventory of ourselves when we have suffered. Pain is temporary, suffering is chronic, and eventually suffering is a choice. It may be functioning mostly unconsciously, but we don't have to stay fixated in our situation and stuck in our old stories mixed up in our own trash. And we can see an example after example of people who have done the whole thing, discovered all the sources of success, even early success, lived this culturally appropriate, paint by the numbers, make a lot of money life, and they're empty. They may have a lot of things, but they don't know who they are. They haven't found happiness any more than anyone else. 
they are in fact still suffering. So how do you break out of the confines of being stuck and repeating the same old stories and patterns? You start with the self, you go in, in order to break free and lead a life of intention and purpose and possibility. And you know where to find us at BigSelfSchool.com, where we offer one-to-one coaching as well as trainings and workshops for organizations big and small. Join us on the Burnout to Big Self Facebook group, where we cover it all. And here's to seeing you on our next episode of The Big Self Show.